Which of the following statements is false? Number one, mindfulness is about stopping the mind. Number two, mindfulness is about relaxing the mind. Number three, mindfulness is about restricting the mind. The answer, at least for the purposes of today's episode, is all of them. Hi everyone, this is Kathleen, your host for today's episode. Today we're going to be exploring a couple of my favorite animal metaphors to explore what mindfulness and meditation is or isn't. If you're new here, this is Mindful Chatter presented to you by Steph, Vincent, and Kathleen. Here on this podcast, we chat about everything related to mindfulness, both as a personal practice and as a way to create social impact. We explore ways to improve our self-awareness and social awareness so that we can do what is best for ourselves and society. If you like this podcast, remember to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. You can also send this episode to a friend or share it on social media by tagging us at MindfulChatterHK on Instagram or our Facebook page, Mindful Chatter. Enjoy the show. I love animal metaphors. They give you a fun way to visualize abstract concepts like mindfulness. But before we dive into some of my favorite animal metaphors today, I'd like to invite you to bring your mind back to the last time you saw a puppy. You might have been in a park and saw someone playing with their puppy. You might have been at a friend's place and there was a puppy. Or you might have raised a puppy yourself. Whatever the scenario, Begin to visualize this puppy and notice how your awareness registers what you see through your eyes. Starting with some objective observations, you might have noticed the color of the puppy. You might have noticed the size of the puppy. You might have noticed if the puppy is sticking its tongue out or wagging its tail. You might even recognize the breed of a puppy. But that's not all that comes to your mind. Your mind is probably engaging in a dialogue about what it perceives. And most people tend to fall on either end of a spectrum, I guess. If you're a dog lover, you might be thinking, Oh, what a cute dog. It's so playful. And if you're scared of dogs or you hate dogs, you might think, Oh my God, there's a dog. Ew, it's so dirty. It's so naughty. Why would people have dogs? Either way, there's this mind chatter starting in your mind. So as you continue picturing the last time you saw a puppy, notice what other thoughts come up in your mind. And maybe you even feel changes in your facial expression or sensations in your body. Again, if you love dogs, you might be smiling. If you're scared of dogs, your heart might start racing. Or if you hate dogs, you might be frowning. We're going to come back to the puppy as a metaphor later on. For now, I hope I've been able to illustrate through this experience that the mind doesn't stop at observing the dog alone. Our mind likes to narrate what we see, and the mind tends to add its own narrative to everyday events which we accept as the truth. Taking a step back, if you follow my instructions, you're thinking back to the last time you saw a puppy. 
chances are you don't actually have any puppy around you this very moment. And yet you were able to generate all these thoughts inside your mind and maybe even experience changes or sensations in your physical body. The message here is simple. Don't believe everything you think. We are not our thoughts. And yes, perhaps our thoughts are part of who we are, just like our feelings, our emotions, our personality. But the self is something much bigger. It's our inner experience that makes up these thoughts, which do not exist outside of our own internal awareness and don't necessarily reflect the reality of life. We create and listen to this narrative, which helps us process interactions between the self and the world around us. And so we think about the past, we think about the future, we regret, we worry, we plan, we judge, we question. It's easy to get all caught up in the thinking and mistake our thoughts as who we are, but we are not our thoughts. Now this statement, of course, begs the question, if we are not our thoughts, then who am I? And this is the billion dollar question that nobody has an answer to, unfortunately, or rather the answer may differ for every person. For today's episode, we'll accept that there's a distinction between the self and the mind and explore some animal metaphors that could help us understand the nature of the mind and the role of mindfulness or meditation. The first metaphor I would like to talk about is the monkey mind. And this addresses the misconception that mindfulness or meditation is about stopping the mind. A recent study from Queen's University in Canada suggests that the average person has more than 6,000 individual thoughts every day. Think of each of these thoughts as branches, and the term monkey mind would hopefully make sense immediately. Our minds are constantly swinging from one branch to another, jumping around, sometimes erratically, without any pause in between. The Buddha is known to have observed just as a monkey swinging through the trees grabs one branch and lets it go only to seize another, so too that which is called thought, mind, or consciousness arises and disappears continually, both day and night. Now, I'm not saying that the monkey is our enemy. The monkey mind is what keeps us on top of things in our busy lives, especially with the boom of modern technology. It helps us so-called multitask, which really means switching from one email message to a browser tab, answering a phone call before ordering your food in a restaurant, keeping track of that meeting at 6, workout at 7, dinner at 8, drinks at 9, Zoom call at 10, all within the space of one evening. We rely on the monkey mind to go up that branch and worry about our date next week, jump onto another branch and reflect on our argument with our parents last night, and then the monkey mind reminds us that, oh, we need to do taxes. Without the monkey mind, which thrives on constant stimulation, we would probably have exploded ages ago. And yet we all know that feeling when we've spent the entire day doing a million things and still feel unproductive at the end of the day. There's a mountain to climb the next day, but we can relax and fall asleep. This is because when the self follows the monkey around the force of thinking, the self is not the monkey which seems to have infinite energy. We experience mental and physical fatigue. A joke I used to tell my friends is that I have high metabolism thanks to an overactive brain. 
which turns out to hold some truth. The brain represents the largest source of energy consumption, accounting for over 20% of total oxygen metabolism. The point is, we need the monkey on our side, but we also need to be careful not to burn the self out. We need to make friends with the monkey in a way that preserves our sense of self, but also respects the restless nature of the monkey. Because let's face it, we can't tell the monkey to sit still. We can't tell our minds to stop thinking. And so mindfulness or meditation isn't about stopping the mind. Instead, we learn to say, I see you, monkey. Now I know this sounds silly, but the lesson here is that we learn to observe our thoughts by watching the monkey from a distance. By keeping some distance between ourselves and the monkey, we acknowledge the existence of the monkey and that it is part of us, but also that it doesn't define us and we don't have to chase after the monkey every time it swings through the forest of thinking. Mindfulness or meditation helps us break the attachment between the self and the monkey which is the source of all suffering. It's not about stopping the monkey mind. The monkey is unstoppable. It's about learning to watch the monkey mind. Next up, we have a metaphor inspired by the king of the animal kingdom on land, the lion mind. And this addresses the misconception that meditation is about relaxing the mind. Now, I'm not saying that meditation cannot help relax the mind. In fact, Dr. Herbert Benson of Harvard Medical School, one of the first scientists who helped to bring meditation into the mainstream, did so by renaming meditation as the relaxation response. And we all know that meditation in one form or another is also prescribed for many people with anxiety to help them relax and calm down. But while relaxation can be a part of the meditation experience, it's not the end of the story. I want to pause here to stress that it's very hard to articulate what mindfulness is and what it isn't because different people have different needs and meditation can come into play in different ways, even over the course of a person's lifetime. Here on Mindful Chatter, our only belief is that there is no one answer or solution to the questions or problems we touch on. So feel free to take from this podcast whatever resonates with you and then just leave everything else that doesn't. There's no right or wrong way, but we hope that in each episode you find some great tips or practices which will inspire you and help you. Coming back to the misconception that meditation helps relax the mind, the issue is what happens when someone tries to meditate and they can't relax. Often I hear people say, I can't meditate because I'm too stressed. The easy answer, which I do use, is that that's like saying I can't exercise because I'm too weak or I can't stretch because I'm too inflexible, which I also hear from time to time. But I get tired of myself repeating the same answer over and over again. And I think that perhaps the more fundamental issue is that our ego gets in the way sometimes. Our ego sometimes holds us back from trying something we don't think we're good at because we're scared of failure. And so it helps to reframe what mindfulness is and take the definition of mindfulness beyond the so-called blissed out kind of relaxation. To explain what the lion mind is, we'll first consider how a dog behaves. If you hold a bone in front of a dog, what does a dog see? The dog sees the bone. And if you wave the bone in the dog's face from side to side, 
the dog's head will probably also sway from side to side. If you throw the bone away, what's the dog going to do? The dog is probably going to chase the bone. But what if you're standing in front of a lion? If you hold a bone in front of a lion, what does the lion see? The lion sees the bone, but also you. The person holding the bone, whose body is made of many more bones. If you wave the bone in the lion's face, from side to side, chances are the lion's not even going to fidget. If you throw the bone away, what will the lion do? The lion can choose to go after the bone. It can sit there and stare at the bone or you. Or it can eat you. The mind has the quality of a dog mind. The mind reacts to the many thoughts that are thrown around all over the place, even if many of them are just noise and distraction. Thought comes and the mind starts chasing after it, just like how a dog chases a bone every time it is thrown. And what about the lion? The lion isn't just more composed. The lion understands that the bone is just a small piece of a larger reality and therefore has much more autonomy. The lion still sees the bone and can chase after the bone if it wants, but the bone isn't going to control the lion. The lion gets to control its own attention. So mindfulness is like training your mind to be more like a lion's mind. Is the lion relaxed? Possibly, but not necessarily. The lion mind has a choice to chase a relaxing thought say the memory of a beautiful ocean sunset, or to look back where a negative thought is thrown from. The lion mind has the ability to avoid going down the rabbit hole buried with the bones of our stories, thoughts, images, sensations, and emotions. So the goal of mindfulness isn't to relax the mind, but to exercise the freedom to decide how we respond to whatever bones that get thrown our way. When anger arises, would you like to chase the bones of hostile thoughts or face the disagreement that stands between you and the other person? When you're feeling anxious, do you want to chase the bones of worrying thoughts or maybe take a deep breath? Even when you're having butterflies in the stomach during a first date, do you want to chase the bones of insecure thoughts or savor the present moment? Most of us have bones that are particularly relevant and will trigger the shit out of us. If we're not in control of the mind, the mind is going to take control of us. And so by remembering the image of the lion, just sitting there and being present and non-reactive, we remind ourselves of the state of mind we're trying to cultivate with mindfulness. Not necessarily relaxed, but aware with freedom in the mind. Finally, we come back to the puppy. Not the dog all out of control and chasing each and every bone, but a puppy which can be excused for its behavior because of its super duper cute look, and most importantly, its potential to be trained. If you're not a dog lover, I encourage you to think of something adorable like a baby, perhaps. The misconception which the puppy mind could address is that meditation restricts the mind. This concern seems particularly acute for people who thrive on creativity, especially artists. Their minds need to wander in order to find inspiration, so why would you control the mind? I have to admit that I'm not a very creative person, and 
I'm a little bit of a control freak, and a little bit is probably an understatement. So I can't necessarily relate to these concerns, but because I'm a control freak, which is something I'm working on, so you can call me a recovering control freak. I don't necessarily advocate for controlling the mind. I know this sounds ironic because I was just talking about how the lion metaphor teaches us to control the mind, but like I said, there's no one-size-fits-all definition for meditation or mindfulness, and different metaphors serve to bring out different lessons. The point is, I'm on the same page as those who think meditation restricts the mind. In the sense that I don't believe in controlling the mind 24/7. For one thing, it's quite tiring, and at this point in my life, I'm still keen to embrace the full spectrum of the human experience, both the positive and the negative, even if it means going down the rabbit hole every now and then. And again, part of my inconsistency. The way I see it, meditation is like training a puppy. The mind is a puppy. And the object of focus in meditation, such as the breath or mantra, is the leash. And dog owners don't use leashes because they want to deprive their dog of the freedom to wander and explore. They use leashes in order to teach a dog who is in charge, out of a desire to protect their dogs from danger. You train a puppy to build that trust and confidence so that you can let the puppy off the leash someday. In the mountains, for example, and roam free without worrying about the puppy getting lost. The same logic applies to meditation. When we meditate, we're cultivating the puppy mind's ability to return to the self when necessary. A well-trained puppy mind knows how far it can go without causing any distress to the owner, and there's this mutual respect between our puppy minds and ourselves. We respect our puppy mind's desire to roam free. And、at the same time, our puppy mind respects some of our basic desires, such as sanity and emotional well-being. All of which could be upset if our puppy mind just goes completely crazy all over the place. And so, while there is some form of restriction on the mind when you meditate, because for most of us that's not the most natural state of being, the puppy mind develops some control over its attention so that. Over time, it can strike a balance between exploring the world and protecting the self. To wrap up this episode, I'm going to read an excerpt from the book *Puppy Mind* by Andrew Jordan Nats. My mind is like a puppy; it likes to wander and explore. If I don't watch it carefully, it goes through any open door. When my puppy mind is bored, it runs to the future and the past. If I am not really careful, it will take me far away super fast. My puppy mind likes to dig up memories, like when I got yelled at for not sharing my things. My mind scampers to the future, and I don't always like the picture that it brings. In class, I try to listen to the teacher, but my puppy mind starts to stir. I quickly lose my focus, and the day becomes a blur. I get mad at my puppy mind. Why don't you just sit and stay? But when I yell, it gets scared, and hides or runs away. My puppy mind only heals if I take three slow, deep breaths. If I do it often enough, I do feel calmer in my chest.
Practicing being patient is the best way to still my puppy mind. I am learning to be my mind's best friend. It responds best when I am kind. So whenever I feel my puppy mind tugging at my sleeve, I try to remember to breathe and breathe and breathe. If I practice every day and remember to be kind, I will have more fun being with my best friend, my puppy mind. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. I hope that at least one of the animal metaphors resonated with you today. Again, there's no right or wrong way to approach mindfulness or meditation. So if, for example, you want to just relax or stop the mind, that's perfectly fine. And if you still find meditation a little too restrictive, you can always explore other ways to engage with your mind. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe for more. If you could leave us a rating and review, that would help us reach more people who may benefit from this podcast. And if you have any questions or feedback, please do drop us a line on Instagram at mindfulchatterhk or our Facebook page, Mindful Chatter. You can also email us at mindfulchatterhk at gmail.com. In the meantime, take care, be kind to your monkey mind, puppy mind, or lion mind. We look forward to having you back on our next Mindful Chat.